everybody. Welcome in to the Check the Stats podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leon. This is our first episode in this series available on theanalyst.com or wherever you get your podcast. Like what you hear on whatever audio podcast platform you listen to us right now, please leave us a five-star review and comment. Pretty, pretty, please. Two pretties in there. So you got to leave us a five-star review. In each episode of this series, we're going to examine how sports stats are used by players, coaches, scouts, trainers, and broadcasters alike as part of their everyday profession. So for today's episode, let me start you with a question. Have you ever wondered what it's like to play quarterback? Let me do my Howard Crosell here. In the National Football League. Win a road game under the bright lights of Monday Night Football in Foxborough against the Patriots or lead a game-winning drive in Big D against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, our guest today did that and a whole lot more. And he is former Jets and Dolphins quarterback Ray Lucas. Ray started his college career at Rutgers University out of the Big East Conference at that time, where he passed for over 5,800 yards, rushing for over 700 yards, and throwing for 43 touchdowns in his college career, putting him fourth all-time in school history and being inducted into the Rutgers Football Hall of Fame. My alma mater, by the way. He went undrafted in the 96 NFL draft, but one particular coach always thought highly of him and signed him to a free agent contract in New England. That coach is not who you may be thinking of. It was actually Hall of Famer Bill Parcells, the great coach of the Giants, Pats, and Jets, who signed our guest to play wide receiver, actually, um, not to be a backup to then starter Drew Bledsoe. And he brought him over to the Jets after Parcells left to take the helm as coach of the New York Jets in 1997. So after being looked at as more of a wildcat quarterback, a little bit of running option from those years in the 90s, he got a chance to start in the 99 season as unfortunately starter Vinny Testaverde ruptured his Achilles tendon in the season opener against the Patriots. The previous year, the Jets had gone 12 and four, reaching the AFC championship game. But in the 99 campaign, after the Testaverde injury, the Jets struggled to do anything at the quarterback position. At one point, turning to their punter, Tom Tupa, Funny enough, Tupa actually began his career as a quarterback. So anyway, the Jets are now two and six, and they turn to then third stringer Ray Lucas. Lucas leads the Jets to a six and two record in their final eight games, including some game winning drives like I just mentioned, and the key road wins, of course, at the Patriots, Cowboys and Dolphins. Today, we're going to talk with Ray about what it's like to be under center in the National Football League, what he looks at from a stats perspective when he was preparing to start a game, not only in college, but in the pros, and how he used it in preparation for an opponent and how he used it as an analyst when he retired from the game, when he was a former studio analyst for the New York Jets on their pre and post game coverage, and currently in his current role as a color commentator for the Rutgers Football Radio Network. Ray Lucas, welcome to the Check the Stats podcast. Like I mentioned before, a former SNY analyst for the Jets, currently the color commentator for Rutgers football, my old alma mater, Ray's old alma mater, where he was a star at. Ray, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure, man. Sorry it took so long, brother. No, no worries, man. So listen, Ray, I, I mentioned to you off air, you know, what this, this podcast is about is a presentation on the analyst. And we really want to get into some of the ways you use stats in your broadcasting career, in your playing career. So one of the questions off the top is, you know, as a former player, what was something you worked on improving as you made the jump in each level from high school to college 
to the NFL from a like statistical perspective? Was it something that, Hey, I got to build up my arm strength to be better, pass for more yards, completion percentage. Like what was something that you looked at as you continue to make the jump from college to the pros? Well, I mean, when you go from the college to the pros, the biggest um, thing that stood out to me was the speed of everybody. Like the cornerbacks are faster. Everybody is quicker. Right. So my whole thing was my footwork and getting the ball out on time. Now I had all the arm strength in the world, but at the same time, when you're playing against somebody that is just as good or better than you on the other side of the defense, you had to get your footwork. It had to be perfection. So when I got to the NFL, the first thing I did was make sure my feet work were great. And that was like a year after I started because I was a wide receiver and special teams guy. But when I started playing quarterback, I wanted my mechanics to be perfection. So I'd get the ball out a tenth of a second faster in the NFL. That counts. That's a long time, a tenth of a second, which it's nothing in the real world. But for me, after every year, I would go back and see what I did bad, whether that's reading on third down. What was my third down percent? So I had to get better on that. So whatever I did good, I didn't even look at. Whatever I did bad, that's what I concentrated on. Boy, that sounds like a Parcells and a Belichick type trait right there. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and we mentioned that at the top that Bill Parcells obviously uh, saw something in you. So I want to ask you, because staying on that, you're watching game from you're just talking about things that you wanted to prepare uh, Saturday uh, for a big college game or Sunday in the pros. Was there anything that jumped out to you besides watching film on an opponent? Was there something from a statistical perspective? Maybe, hey, this guy in their nickel uh, defense, you know, he's got three picks this year. This guy leads in pass breakups. So D lineman, you know, has the most hurries on the team. What were you looking at when you were breaking down film and then getting some stats evaluation handed to you about the opponents you're about to play? Well, every down has a tendency. So that means like, what do they do on first down? What's going to be their front? What's going to be their package in the back? Uh, and you have to look at that. So you can actually predict what kind of defense they're going to be in. Now, when you walk up to a line of scrimmage and you put your hand underneath that center, that defense that you're staring at is not the defense you're going against. So you have to keep your head on your first step, looking at that defense, find the safeties, what's their tendencies are going to come down. Who's a better run stopper. You know what I mean? That's how you could kind of cheat and say, okay, they're probably going to slide that way because if we run the ball on third and four, he's got to be in the box, right? So they're going to rotate the safety to the right. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going left. I'm going high to low or whatever my read progression was. So if you study tendencies too, because listen, defensive coordinators in the NFL kind of do the same thing. They do what they know. So if it's a third and six, there's a certain defense on third and six that they play. So I would have to look at all of that stuff. So let me ask you, staying on that, because I mentioned that you're, you worked for the Jets as, uh, on SNY and their regional sports network home as an analyst, right? So the postgame just ended, just went final. Everyone's turning over to see Ray Lucas, Bart Scott, Brian Custer and the gang over there on SNY. And they want to hear Ray Lucas break down what happened in the win or loss for the Jets. What's a, what's a go-to stat that you look at immediately? when you're in the studio to kind of help craft a picture for the audience that was watching the game, but maybe that statistic really stood out to you as like a, a pivotal stat in the game. Well, third down and red zone right off the bat, third down, are they staying on the field? Are they changing field position? Uh, red zone, are they scoring points or are they kicking field goals? That's basically going to tell you the tail of the tape. I mean, for me as an analyst, I looked at that first. Uh, did they take care of the football? Did the quarterback throw picks? Did he make the wrong decisions? Did he take care of the ball? Uh, all those things for me is, the, you know, like the component of how they lost, how they won. Uh, did they run the ball? 
for over 100 yards? Did they control the clock? Did they take the air of the ball for the other side? Uh, again, like I said, third down in red zones, basically going to tell you who the hell won the game and who the hell lost the game. Right. One of the things I wanted to get into as your former quarterback, obviously the NFL game has changed so much, favoring the passer, right? We saw last year 12 quarterbacks throw for over 4,000 yards. We're seeing a lot more spread offenses in college. Um, where does Ray Lucas see that next evolution of the NFL game going to? It's already gotten into more spread concepts. Yeah, I think it's already started. I mean, you see all these spread packages. It's almost like the running back is an obsolete weapon as far as the, you know, as far as the game goes, but everybody's scoring 48 points. Like you, you never saw those kind of scores because you, you had balance. You didn't throw the ball every single play or you didn't have four wide receivers that could start on any team and anywhere, you know, and like Patrick Mahone does, he's got a great tight end. He's got great wide receivers. Plus he has two great running backs that could take the ball and take it to the house. If you want to play soft and play coverage. So for me, I think the evolution is going to be where you're going to start seeing defense coordinators say, you know what, you're not going to throw it over my head. You're going to see more coverages like cover two, where they're going to have half field covered or cover nine where they rotate three. So you have three people deep and then you play coverage underneath. So you're going to have to run the football. It's going to, it's going to, I think it's going to have to come back because when you run against six in the box, you're going to pick up four yards of carry easy. I mean, if it's drawn up right and everybody executes, but Right now, it's just a straight passing league, and they're just trying to score points, and it's it's difficult because you're looking for matchups. You're not looking for a game plan, so to speak. Straight passer league. Let's get into the team that you used to be under center for, the New York Jets. Obviously, they drafted Zach Wilson out of BYU this past uh, April in the draft. Um, it's a two-part question for me, Ray, which is the worst part to do as, as a journalist. Um, okay. Okay. So good. first off, they traded Sam Darnold. Obviously, Darnold last year, 2,200 yards passing, eight touchdowns to 11 interceptions. Some of those numbers are a little bit skewed, obviously. And they took Wilson overall at number two. Do you feel like the Jets gave up too soon on Sam? And then on the flip side, what is something that you would advise Zach Wilson? I'm going to give you a stat in a second from our folks over at the analyst. But what is something you would advise Wilson coming in from college to potentially starting in the NFL? Like, what's a piece of advice you would give him? Take care of the football. And do I think that they gave up on Sam Darnold? Hell yeah. I mean, what right Jet fan doesn't think they gave up on him too fast? You didn't surround them with any weapons. You brought in a coach that didn't win in your division. They didn't give him any shot. They said he was a guru. Just because you coach Peyton Manning, I would be a friggin' guru. You would, Mike, you would be a guru if you coach Peyton Manning because he's a coach on the field. We're talking about a Hall of Famer. So how do you go from the decision from the front office to make that decision to say, okay, we're going to draft Sam? but then we're not going to give him any pieces to the puzzle for him to go. They had no offensive line in the beginning. And you could get into, if you want to talk stats, you got hit in the mouth. Look at David Carr, right? Here's a guy who was first pick of the draft, very talented, could make all the throws. But when he got hit, what, 87% of the time, even when he just dropped back on, per, on first down, he was getting hit in the mouth. You develop tendencies. You start looking at the line of scrimmage instead of looking down the field. So for me, was I angry about get trading Sam Donald? Hell yeah. I, I was actually a little bit more than angry, but this is a G-rated show, so I'm going to go keep it that way. Well, I appreciate um, that. Yes. You know, I'm working with you, Mike. That's your Rutgers guy. <laughs> if it was somebody else, I would have dropped four F-bombs already. Uh, <laughs> as far as Zach Wilson is concerned, um, don't try to come in and make a big splash. Let the players do, everybody around you do what they're supposed to do. And then as the last resort with the football in their hands, you got to take care of that football. 
That's it. Listen, I don't know if I would have led Peyton Manning and the Broncos to that Super Bowl, like you said, but I appreciate uh, you saying that. If my boss is listening to me? this, if my boss listened to that, maybe maybe I may have a coaching job with, with Ray Lucas in the future. Well, if you have someone like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> you can pick your nose and get the play right. Right, right. So listen, you've actually, you're feeding into these perfect follow-ups because like I mentioned, we had a stat over at theanalyst.com. We did a piece on some uh, drafted quarterbacks over the last, you know, 20, 30 years and quarterbacks with fewer than 24 college games who were not number one overall picks. Only three of them went to Pro Bowls, Matt Castle, Mitch Trubisky, and Ryan Tannehill. So, you know, we've got a couple of quarterbacks. that was in their career too. Uh, was Sturbisky. I mean, everybody else was kind of later in the career when they went. Exactly. Right. Because Castle took over, you know, obviously at the Chiefs and the Pats. Um, so we, I give you that stat because obviously the quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round, Mac, you know, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously taking number one overall. Um, who's the best of this group for Ray Lucas? Trevor Lawrence. He's got all the upside. He can do every single thing and he, he's intelligent. He reads defenses extremely well. He has the ability to read the whole field, which you don't really see too many quarterbacks do. And the reason why they do that is because they don't want him looking too far at one spot. So for a guy that can read all the defense and then has legs to get him out of trouble, and he's played in huge games, not little games, huge games. So he's already battle-tested. So for me, those other guys that you mentioned, yeah, did they play in a great conference? Yeah, but the NFL is not college football. I'm sorry. I don't care where you're drafted. You still got to prove yourself. So, Ray, I, I know a coach of yours probably would always say that you win football on both sides of the line. So let's go into some of our positional rankings available on the analyst.com. We have the top three O-lines out there, the Cowboys, the Pats, number two, and the Ravens at number three, obviously adding Alejandro Villanueva from the Steelers. Um, what do you think in terms of the top O-lines that are out there? The Cowboys, how do you think that they'll do this offseason? You know, with Dak coming back off the injury, they have such a big O-line, Z coming back. What do you what do you see the Cowboys netting out? Well, again, we talked the first two teams you mentioned didn't even make the playoffs, you know, with the best O-lines in the business. Because why? It's a passing lead. You're not getting to the quarterback like you used to get to. Uh, to me, Dallas is, if Dak is there, is probably the best at all of them. I mean, don't get me wrong. Lamar Jackson is fantastic, and he could kill you with his legs by itself. Never mind throwing a pass. He could kill you just running the ball. But the balance in the NFL to me is everything. And I do have I, my coach, Parcells, he was all about balance, uh, keeping the defensive honest. You know what I mean? But when you have an offensive line that could pound Zeke every single play, eventually you're going to have to put somebody in the box, which means what for, for that? He could throw it over your head. And they got two great wide receivers in Dallas. So if I'm going to pick somebody, I'm going to pick Dallas. What's funny is our, our projected O-line rankings, teams that are on the rise, you get the Chiefs at a number 11, the Chargers at 14, and even the Cardinals in the top 10 with DJ Humphreys, Justin Few, Rodney Hudson, who they got over from the Raiders. I'm a Raiders fan, Ray, full in interest of full disclosure. I don't know what you're Rutgers and become a Raiders fan. Well, you know... But Pops, Pops was a Jet fan, and uh, Mom bought me the Raiders starter jacket, and that way we went. Um, that's how that works. So we mean your mom got to have a conversation. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> well, my father's a giant season ticket holder, so of course I like Dallas. So I get, I, I understand what you're saying. So, I, well, you don't, but you don't root for the Jets anymore. Of course you do. Of course I do. I covered them 14 years straight, so I'm a Jet fan. I, I used to make my my wife and my kids. 
they weren't allowed to watch or talk about any other team in my house, but the Jets suck so bad. I said, you can pick whoever the hell you want. So, <laughs> I'm still a Jet fan, but my kids and my wife, not so much. Right. So, you know, it's funny. We were t- we've been talking about, obviously, you're a former quarterback. We're talking about all these great quarterbacks. Um, let's flip on the opposite side of the ball as presented on the analysts to the best secondaries, right? Because, you know, it's a passing league, but yep. uh, at some point you got to get off, off the field on third down, right? So the elite rankings for the corners, we have as our top three teams, the Rams, the Bills, and the Broncos. And we have a stat that's an adjusted open stat. And the, that means that it measures how often a player allows a pass catcher to get open. And mm-hmm. the Broncos have Justin Simmons, who is ranked highest on that list at 14% of the time, minimum of 30 matchups against a receiver that somebody would get open against him. When you look yeah. at some of these secondaries that I mentioned, specifically the Rams and the Bills, um, well, how do you see uh, both of those teams playing out this year? Are any of these teams like a surprise to you based on like the defensive secondaries that I mentioned? I would say the Bills because they their front seven is just as good as their back four. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're solid all around. So they can put pressure on the quarterback and force them and play coverage behind. But their defense alignment are so good in the trenches you can't just run the ball against seven, you know, against seven in the box and you have four playing coverage. It's tough because there's balance on both sides of the ball. You know what I mean? Like their right. quarterback is unbelievable. He's lights out. He actually took care of the football for the first year because why? He's getting better. He's getting more turns. He's seeing more defenses. But if I had to pick a secondary, the Rams is pretty damn good. I mean, Ramsey, all those guys over there, they're pretty freaking solid. And if you get one-on-one matchups as a former quarterback, I'm looking where the weakness is. So your boy that you mentioned from uh, the Broncos? Yeah, Justin Simmons. He is, I'm frigging throwing the ball at him. <laughs> so wherever my matchups give me, and that's, you know, like stat-wise, that's great to know. I wouldn't look at that as if I'm studying for an opponent. I'm looking for weaknesses. I'm looking for the best matchup for that play. And if that means it's a tight end against a linebacker, so be it. If it's a safety against a slot receiver, see, that's where I love the nickel package, right? We had Kyle Wilson at the Jets for a very long time was highly touted, was, you know, got all this money, but he held. So a guy against a guy like, and I'm going back, and don't hate me, everybody, but Corbett, there would be no way Kyle Wilson could cover Wayne Corbett. He would either have to grab him or stuff like that. So for a quarterback going against a secondary, right, it's not really I'm going against the two corners and the two safeties. I'm going at where's my best matchup? Where can I expose this defense? So that's how, you know, quarterbacks kind of look. It's funny if you're listening out there and you're wondering well, where are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this, we have them actually on the rise in their secondary last year, their defensive backfield was only 15th in aggregate coverage rating, similar to that stat that I just gave you. So right. uh, Brady and the defense, obviously coming back, hoping to repeat as Super Bowl champions. I want to move real quick because Ray, you know, this as getting older as a player, father time waits for nobody. Um, and the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packers think Aaron Rodgers is his windows closing at age 37, even though he won. And Brady, Pila- what is Brady? 50 now? How old is he? <laughs> yeah, he's going on 50. Uh, but- Aaron Rodgers at 37 is not getting old. Right. Uh, obviously, our MVP, reigning MVP in the NFL is not getting old. He just wants to win a championship. Well, I mean, and your, your old coach famously said, if they're going to ask you to cook the meal, at least they can let you do is buy the groceries. But I wanted to ask you. That's coach. That's not player. Right, right. That's a coach, not a player. Right, exactly. Player. Well, you know what? Let's stay on that. How do you feel about that as a player, him saying that? Well, here, here's my thing. 
if you look at Tom Brady, who I think was the greatest of all time, and there's some really great ones that I, I, I love, but when you look at Tom Brady, you watch what he did in New England, you watch what he does in Kansas City. He wants to add players. So he's going to get his endorsements. He's going to get his $25 million, $30 million a year, but he doesn't ask for more than that. He's not trying to break the bank. He wants to compete. He wants the people around him to compete. So my feeling is, and everybody's going to be like, you're crazy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, if he wants all that money, he can go to like the worst team in the NFL and get all that money. But for me, if you want to compete and you want to have say in who gets picked and who gets drafted and all this other crap, then take your shoulder pads off and become a coach. There's a whole bunch of people in the front office that get paid a lot of money to study film and do all that stuff. Uh, for me, as a former quarterback, I got to worry about my job. Aaron didn't, but I did. But at the same time, I don't want to pick anybody. I just want somebody to be out there who's ever in the huddle with me. That's who the hell I'm using. I don't need to worry about who's getting drafted. I got to worry about keeping my damn job. So I'm a little on the fence with Aaron Rodgers because there's no way a player should be able to tell somebody in the front office who they can pick. I don't agree with that at all. Well, I mean, in fairness to Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to give you some stats here. Third NFL MVP, 4,300 yards, 48 touchdowns last year, led the league with fewest interceptions with five. And then on the flip side, we've got what's happening in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger last year, kind of a middle of the pack year, 3,800 yards passing, 33 touchdowns. He threw for 10 interceptions, middle of the pack. What do you feel about the situation happening with Big Ben in, in Pittsburgh and this probably being his last year? Again, you know, he had a great team. And in the beginning of the season, they were undefeated. You know what I mean? that kind of collapse at the end of the season. Now, here's the reason. You want statistics? When you start out in the NFL in your first game, right, people don't know what you're going to do. By the time you got to the second half of the season, they know what their tendencies are. What's the, the statistics? Excuse me. Um, so defenses were playing to stop what they do best. You know what Belichick, what I learned from him from the beginning, he took away your first two things you do great, and you had to beat them with the other two. And Pittsburgh could not respond. They didn't have another two. You know what I mean? So for me, Ben came back for his offensive line, and he said it. I mean, we love big fatties. That's what quarterbacks, we love our big fatties, the guys that protect us and want to fight for everybody. But you still need pieces of the puzzle around them. And you have to be creative as an offense coordinator in that second half of the season if you're going to propel yourself into the playoffs. Ray, what's a team that you're looking at this year? Obviously, we talked about a bunch of different teams from, from Dallas to the Jets to the Steelers and the Packers. But what's a team you're looking at this year based on free agency, draft, what they did that you think maybe has a chance to be a surprise team here that maybe no one's talking about? Arizona. Arizona. The Cardinal. Uh, for me, another year under the belt for their young quarterback with that offense coordinator, he's different. It's hard to predict what he's going to do because whatever the trend is, he's going to buck it and go in a different direction. So people need to watch out for Arizona. Definitely. Uh, the jets I'm interesting to see because we got two big fatties up front and Beckton is definite future hall of famer as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and we got the right coach. We finally have the right coach and Mr. Johnson, no offense to his brother. You know, he was in Ireland doing that, whatever he was doing, the, whenever he's coming back. So I think the Jets are something that people might be pleasantly surprised about. I mean, we can't be any friggin' worse. That's <laughs> right. So I, I'm looking for, I'm looking at those two teams. Plus, you know, I'm a Jersey boy. We love the underdog. Now, Ray, so those are surprise teams. Who's holding the Lombardi uh, in February? Now, how do I go against the greatest ever? You know what I mean? Like you want to talk about his coach saying that I let Brady coach practice. 
Okay, if Aaron wants Aaron Rodgers wants to do that, that's a different story. Coaching during practice. No, bring the play back. We're gonna run it again until you get it right. Sign of a great leader, right? But the, the friggin' Tampa Bay Bucks, man, their defense is great. They can put pressure on the quarterback. They got two defensive ends that can pressure the quarterback. Their secondary is great and they play complimentary football. They do. They hand the ball off. And Brady is the king of reading defenses and looking at statistics and putting them in his mind. So when he's in the mix, he sees everything. And it's hard to play against a guy that's seen everything. I mean, he's been in the league 20 friggin' years. What can you give him that he hasn't seen already? It's a quarterback driven league right now. And he's the best. So I'm going with the Bucs. Ray, you know, um, you, you were just talking about that Justin Simmons statistic that I gave you the Broncos cornerback and how you said you would probably use that in either uh, to your uh, advantage. 100% I would use it. Right. So I want to ask you, was there, um, take, take me through a little bit of now it's game week. When you were playing for the Jets, you were getting the starts, or even when you were in Miami and Jay Feeler got hurt and you're, you're taking over, what were the times when somebody would come over and give you a statistic like that and say, hey, by the way, this guy has XYZ. Do you have any examples of that that like you used in a game later on that it turned out to be pretty good? When I played for the Jets, um, Charlie Weiss was my OC at the one time. and and but a lot of people don't know that Parcells just took over the play calling most of the time on Sundays. Uh, <clears throat> but he was adept at seeing what they gave me in the past. So it was, I forget what we were playing. I think it was like third and four. And if we got the first down, the game was over. So he calls timeout. I go to the sideline. He's like, I'm going to throw it. Now that bucks against everything. Punt the ball away, make him go 90, right? Or 80, whatever the hell it is. If you got a good punter, Tom Tupa was one of the best in the league at the time. So we could pin them back and our defense was strong. Uh, but he said, we're going to throw it. And I said, say what? Like, I was like in shock. Like, are you, again, I almost did it again. I said, are you serious right now? And he's like, yeah, can you handle it? And I said, hell yeah, I can handle it. What you going to call? Uh, on third downs in the past, the whole game. Now we're in the fourth quarter. There's only like three minutes outside of that. They have no timeouts left. He says, they're going to blitz the corner from the short side of the field to get to you, and they're going to roll coverage wide. They're going to double curvet. He said, you go backside, one-on-one. Tell the wide receiver you're going to go to him. I said, I'm not telling him nothing. I'm not going to tell him anything. I want him to run the route. I don't want added pressure on him like that. He said, all right, handle this, go. So I go in the puddle. They blitz the corner. Now, when I got under center, he's in my head. He's talk- I can hear his voice. So I'm trying to play it back, and I see the safety start creeping over because he got to cover him. You know what I mean? He's got to cover him. The corner's coming. Somebody's got to get there. But he was coming from inside. On my second, <clears throat> blue 88, blue, the guy starts running. We're running a slant. So he's actually running out. My wide receiver goes up, cuts behind him. I throw the ball in the air, catches it, falls on the ground, game over. So coaches are all are the guys that always tell you, hey, don't forget, on this last time we ran this play, and they remember plays from the first quarter. You know what I mean? So the coaches are instrumental. And don't forget, in the NFL uh, staff, you have 87 people that are just writing down coverages up in the booth, and they know the tendency. So that's how it works in the NFL. I mean, hey, we're going to run this play again because we saw something in the first quarter. That's how they get back to it. Well, I can listen to some of these stories. I want to ask you one more thing because, well, actually two more things. We're going to get into the college side of this too, because I mentioned you're a color analyst for the Rutgers football radio network, my alma mater. I'll be in the house against Temple, a uh, season opener, but first, check me out in the booth, baby. I, I will. Now, first though, I want to ask you because people that are listening to this, myself included, that's hosting this 
I never played under center in the National Football League. You just mentioned you're a Jersey, you're a Jersey kid. And now not only were you the starting quarterback for the college that you played for, but all in the state of New Jersey, but also the Jets quarterback after the test of Verde injury in 99. What are those emotions, feelings like the first time that you found out? Bill tells you, I'm, I'm turning to you, right? I think it was the Patriot game was the first game that you played, right? No, it was yeah. uh Colts. The Colts. Okay. Oh yeah, of course. Right. Peyton Manning against Ray Lucas. That's a, that's, that's it right there. That's uh, not fair is what that is. (laughs) But take me, take me through, take me through those emotions because I I have a great story for you, Mike. Ready? Hit me with it. Vinny gets hurt and uh, Parcells comes in the meeting room on Monday morning. Right. And he says, uh, I think, yeah, it was, I think Rick went in and he lost a couple of games and we were probably, I forget what we were. You're two and six. Two and six or something yeah. like that. He comes in and he says, this kid's starting. Now, there have been weeks before, after Vinny got hurt. So he's still with me sitting in the meeting room. He always came. That was Vinny tested birdie, just a class act. So I'm sitting, all the quarterbacks had to sit in the front row. So he goes, that kid's starting. I don't care if we lose every game after it. So I turned around. <laughs> And Vinny's like, you dumbass, it's you, you're starting. So at first I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, like, oh my, I'm going to be, I'm actually going to start you know, as a quarterback in the NFL. So the first thing that came to my mind was a run down to a wifey. So I go sprinting downstairs once the meeting breaks, run into my uh, locker so I can call wifey on the cell phone. When I get turn the corner, there's a box on my chair in my locker. So I'm like, man, what the? So I go over and I'm looking at it. It says depends, and then hit Parcells handwriting. He wrote on the top, "Try not to your pants." So all my emotions, like that nervous energy, like oh my god, do I have to do everything different? Just faded away. And he had that gift with me to make me believe in myself. He had the gift with everybody he coached. Like either you you bought in or you didn't. He got rid of you. But for someone to believe in a guy who started out as a wide receiver and nobody gave a chance to play quarterback. To put me in there when your job is on the line, a kid from New Jersey, you know what I'm saying? Like that emotion that he believed in me made me believe in myself, that I didn't have to do anything, that he was not going to put me in a situation where I could hurt the team. So I didn't have any problems. If you look at my stats, I threw the ball away all the time. I wasn't forcing the ball anywhere because I knew that would put my butt right on the bench. You turn the ball over with Parcells, you ain't playing. So for me, the emotion was manage the game. I got Curtis Martin behind me. I got a great offensive line. I got Freddie Baxter at tight end. I got a Richie Anderson at fullback. Corbett, Keyshawn. I mean, I don't have to do much. I just got to take care of the football. So that was my first, uh, how do I say, emotion. Uh, And I did have to take some stuff from my stomach because it it wasn't right (laughs) all. But I mean, that's a great story, man. Parcells was such a good motivator. Um, Fantastic coach. Really cool story. Now, Ray, before we let you go, obviously I mentioned your Rutgers football analyst. I'm not going to ask you about Rutgers because then we're going to lose half our audience. But I will ask you, uh, hey, I'm I'm, 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 it's a national it's a national platform. But listen, I want to I want to ask you. I want to get you your boss though. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead. I appreciate that. What what uh what college matchups are are you looking at this year 
or at least players that may be draft eligible for next year? Like who are some people that you're looking at in the 2022 draft that are in the college game right now that you're like, that, that player is really good. And, and I got my eye on them potentially making a splash next year in the draft. Well, I'm not, I don't look really at players too much at this early in the, in the college season. I will tell you this. Uh, once we got our dude back and that dude being Greg Schiano, uh, you saw our draft class, right? We're, we're actually ranked in for the, you know, for a while we haven't been ranked. Uh, we do the big 10 conference, <clears throat> which I think is the best conference in football. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, all the teams that we have in the big 10 are all ranked preseason every single year. And we play in one of the best conferences in football. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Rutgers football does against this upper echelon competition. Because if you remember last year, I was contemplating not doing the broadcast because I was sick and tired of watching my alma mater get kicked in the mouth. Uh, I love Chris Carlin. I love Eric LeGrand. Those are my guys. But at some point, it just gets to the point where <clears throat> you hit, I'm a, like, I don't like watching my team get manhandled. And last year was the first time I could honestly say we shocked a lot of people in the Big Ten. And then the next thing you know, basketball's in the NCAA, women and men. You know what I mean? So for me, I'm more fine-tuned about that R you got on your chest right now. You know what I mean? How are we going to act? How are we going to respond and come back after a pandemic year where we just played people in the Big Ten? You imagine if we had played somebody outside of our conference, we would have been in a playoff game. We would have been in a bowl game. First time in a very for long sure. time. So for me... It's going to be real interesting to see how these kids respond with a year under Greg, you know what I mean? Where he's got them and he brings discipline. He brings motivation. Uh, he's just, he's just that guy. There was only one guy we could hire. So I'm more interested to see how my squad responds to the upper echelon competition. Uh, yeah. I was never a big draft guy cause I wasn't drafted. So I really don't care who gets drafted. As far as I'm concerned, just because you go to a big school doesn't mean you should be picked number one. The diamond's in the rock. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm looking for the underdog guy, that one dude that didn't make the rock, you know what I mean, didn't get drafted. Those are the guys I look at. My biggest day on draft day when I was at SNY was looking after who got picked after the whole draft. You would think, me being an analyst, I'm worried about who's number one, who the jet pick, man. Forget that. I wanted to see who the guy was who they signed that didn't get drafted. I pay more attention to that. I don't know that I know that didn't really answer your question. No, no, it's fine. There's so many great that's what it's all about. There's so many great names of people that were undrafted that have gone on. And like we all know, JJ Watt was a two-star high school recruit. And so the, the McCordys, um, tons of tons of people that were ranked really low. Uh, Ray, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, man. I mean, I, I wish you nothing but continued success. Obviously, you know, you and I share in commonality a degree from the great place that is New Jersey inducted. That's right. Inducted into the Rutgers Football Hall of Fame, 5,800 yards passing in his college career, 43 touchdowns, former Jet quarterback, eight seasons in the National Football League was an analyst for the Jets pre and post game on SNY. Now a color commentator on the Rutgers Football Radio Network. Ray, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It was awesome, man. I didn't curse. I, I made one. Did I curse once, Mike? No, you did not. I did? Okay. I don't good. think so. Is yeah. ass curse is not a curse anymore? <laughs> no. Hey, listen. I, I keep, you can't keep saying that. I apologize again. No, Mike, thanks for having me so much, man. It was a pleasure. Anytime you want to talk about football or Rutgers, and we don't care if you lose half your audience or whatever the hell you're talking about, Rutgers is coming back, baby. So you better start tuning in, everybody. I don't know what the hell you're doing closing the program off. And Mike's on the friggin' podcast, so you better be listening. 
act accordingly, everybody. That's right. The great Ray don't, Lucas. Thank I'm you, dirty, Ray. Don't make me come there. I'll come there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was the great Ray Lucas. Like I mentioned, former NFL quarterback who paid, played for the Patriots, Dolphins, and the Jets. Obviously, leading the Jets in that 99 season, a 6-2 and two record in their final eight games. You know, one quick stat I wanted to give on Ray back in the NFL. Obviously, Ray, eight-year career, threw for over 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. I'm sure he's proud of having one more touchdown than an interception. For sure, he told us how... Parcells always said, take care of the football. That 99 team, by the way, a really good offensive team. Yeah, Curtis Martin in the backfield, Hall of Fame running back. Obviously, Keyshawn Johnson, the number one draft pick out of USC. Wayne Corbett, the former wide receiver out of Hofstra in the slot. The Jets really had a bunch of good offensive weapons and Ray played really well. Um, as always for this podcast, whatever audio podcast platform you're listening to us right now, like I mentioned, leave us a five-star review and comment, please. This series is available as well on theanalyst.com. Each episode, like I mentioned, we're going to explain to you how a broadcaster, a player, a trainer, a coach, just like Ray did today, uh, uses stats in their everyday profession. Thank you so much for listening to us. I'm Mike Leon. We'll see you next time.